Till I got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And I'll be okay. Well, I'm not big on the social graces. Think I'll slip on down to the old oasis. So I got friends in low places. <laughs> got I still get a kick out of it, man. <laughs> I just get a kick out of it. That we're a construction podcast and people come on the show and they open up the show with a little bit of a tune. If you could call out a tune, I don't know what that was. That was pretty good, Alex. Come on, man. That was pretty good. <laughs> totally good, man. Welcome to the construction life. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. How's everything? Busy these days? Uh, totally slammed, yeah. Scheduled. No no sign of letting up or at all? Like clients just moving forward? They're just determined? Uh, Yeah, there's no sign of letting up. We're still got lots of inquiries, um, tons of projects on the go. Uh this year alone signed 56 new projects. So, holy cow. Yeah. And we still have some projects are going on uh, since 2018. How do you juggle? So this year alone, well, how many projects did you actually break ground and start working on this year alone? Um, definitely not 56. No. Um, but even I, still more than a dozen? Probably not. Okay. Like, um, in our business, like we have, it's ton of like pick up, set down, pick up, set down. There's a lot of different uh, stages, processes, things of that nature. Like our, even our design process is usually nine to 12 months. So I meet you, uh, the client, uh, you retain me. There's a discovery exploration process, uh, concept design process. That's usually... Uh, three to four months alone uh and we go on from there like permit documentation construction documentation and then construction administration we all handle in-house as well so construction administration can take like forever forever yeah exactly <laughs> so like i know a lot of my clients depending on how large the project is for like two three four years dealing with them all the time because they're Pretty big places. So I'm getting way ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> Alex Forshoe, right? Alex Forshoe? Alex Forshoe, yeah. Forshoe, principal designer, CEO, Forshoe Design Associates, Inc. Uh, designers of custom residential projects, 705-341-8266, www.forshoeda.com. And then your email is aforshoe at forshoeda.com. And then on find them on IG, which is forshoe underscore DA, and it's F-O-R-E-S-H-E-W. Uh, I'm wearing Ty's T long sleeve. Thanks so much, Ty, for Nickel General, uh, contractor here in the greater, I guess, Toronto area. Unleash your voice on the Construction Life podcast community. Are you passionate about the world of construction, trades, and all things building related? The Construction Life podcast wants to hear from you. Leave us a review, share your thoughts, insights, and experiences on your favorite podcast channel. Your review fuels our mission to create engaging and informative content for the construction community. Your feedback is a mortar that holds our podcast together. So share your thoughts, rate us, and let the construction community know why the Construction Life is your go-to podcast.
Visit our website and check out the over 400 tradespeople and construction professionals listed on our site. Check out www.theconstructionlife.com for additional content, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and valuable resources. Dive deeper into the construction world with articles, guest profiles, and more. Follow us on social at TCL underscore The Construction Life. Subscribe to our video channels on YouTube and Rumble. Check out our link tree and find exclusive discounts for listeners. The link is in the IG bio. Join the conversation on Facebook, the Construction Life community. I always wear somebody else's teeth, so thank you so much for the uh, horseshoe cap there. I'll be busting that one on the show. No problem. Uh, since we keep on recording so many shows. <laughs> but it's nice to, uh, like, I, I'll be very honest, I don't, um, I've been inquiring about getting a lot of designers on the show, mm-hmm. and I don't know if designers are afraid to come on the show or what's the story of designers want to keep their cards close or something like that, and they don't want to share. But it doesn't seem like that. that's the kind of designer that you are. No, I'm totally fine to share i'm totally i i'm totally passionate about what i do and um i have a design philosophy that i try to keep keep uh, a hold of and i'm totally fine to share with anyone awesome yeah so i guess my first question for you is that your process takes years mm-hmm. how do you do with clients that come in with one idea then they start working with you and the idea starts getting massaged mm-hmm and then before you actually start breaking ground, it's completely different than what their original scope deliverables were inquiry. And you got to kind of manage that whole thing. And then they get bombarded, I guess, by just what's coming up trend wise. Like yeah. Design well, wise. well, I guess um, to back up to that original statement that you made, like early, earlier on in my starting stages, Yes, I would get clients saying, this is what we want. Um, this is how we want it. And I would do the design, execute the design more or less. But these days, uh, I've been at this for 13 years now. So these days, we've made a name for ourselves. And clients are coming to us looking for our ideas. Obviously, they have a need, right? Like a, a problem that needs to be solved where they yeah. need a new home, cottage, boathouse, things of that nature. But they're really, they might give us a little bit of window into the inspiration or images or what they like or what aesthetic style they like. But it's really up to us at the end of the day to come up with something out of the box and totally unique for them. How important, Alex, is um, the green conversation, sustainability? <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, when you get clients that want such, I mean, you're you're not building simple projects you're not building um smaller projects you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. you're building very intricate very thought process projects you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like you're you're thinking about every little nook and cranny every little piece of nail like you're thinking about everything Mm -hmm. and i'm just wondering how much is the sustainability green argument or discussion whatever you want to position yourself for the clients i would say it's uh our primary focus is in the muskoka area so a lot of it is second, third homes um, that sometimes get used like two months of the year. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a, a massive burden, let's say, from an energy of um, usage standpoint, let's call it. Um, so I don't really have uh, a lot of conversation about using sustainable materials, green things of that nature, but... Definitely energy efficiency yeah. um, is and mechanical 
system efficiency is a lot, uh, it's high priority for us because typically when our clients are buying these properties, they're wanting to see the view. So there's well over 22% glazing. Uh, so mechanical systems need to be super efficient, uh, very high quality. Um, and in Muskoka, we have the, the card to play where we can sign a seasonal declaration, uh, with the OBC seasonal declaration basically says we're only using this part time of the year and it's classified as a cottage and you don't have to do an energy design summary and you don't have to abide by the 22% glazing ratio. So no package at all has to be submitted as part of your drawings. Not technically. Tech- really? Yeah. Yeah. What's the parameters? How much of the year can you use the dwelling? Well, that's you sign, great. you sign a seasonal declaration, you hand it into the, uh, the township office and they never check up on it. Nobody's going to come by and go, no, I've yeah. seen you be here for so many months of the year or whatever, yeah. right? But obviously, like, what uh, FDA is all about is creating the the most highest quality, the most luxury, the best product that you can that can be designed. So even though we're signing that seasonal declaration, we're just bucking that card uh, that the township could pull and saying, well, you're mechanical efficiency has to be X, your our insulation has to be X, but obviously we're designing far above the, what the building code is specifying. I wonder if you could actually pull that card out in regular Toronto and just build and you couldn't do that, <laughs> eh? Yeah, I'm we're snowbirds really. or something like that, and we're just not here all the time when the home is not being used, but they, they won't believe that, are you? Yeah, well, if you look in the building code, it actually does have cottage in quotation. I never even looked into that. Okay. I think uh, wow. it's like a very... Ontario building code thing. I doubt that it's in national building code, but I could be wrong. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did you get into the game? Why did you become a designer? <laughs> uh, well, I started the business when I was 20, and I'm 33 now. Okay. Um, and I guess it goes back to I was always a creative child, um, and my father was a civil engineer, and on the on the side he designed smaller homes for side side hustle and uh i remember going down to the basement and he had one of those massive uh drafting tables with Mm. the sliding scale and everything and so as a child i was like well that looks cool and looking at technical drawings and rolled up vellum and all of that stuff and thought that was cool uh time to go away to college and I was like, well, what were you, what did you go to college for? I want to do that. And he said, a civil engineer. And I went to Conestoga College for civil engineering and found out real quick that that's not exactly what I wanted to do because <laughs> there's roads and bridges and all that shit. So well, the Toronto desperately needs one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different story. But, but uh, so I transferred still into Conestoga College into the architectural engineering construction technology program. So that... That was how I started, and um, I in the summertime, I was introduced to a design-build contractor in the Muskoka area. Uh, they're out of business now because he retired, but French's Fine Homes in Port Sydney. They didn't hand it off to anybody? No, sib- no kids? Mm-mm. Okay. No, just shut down. 
Um, it's always sad to hear that because I'm sure he built a solid brand. Yeah, no, he did. He did tons of, he did custom cottages and um, like subdivision, um, not low income homes, but that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helped out the communities surrounding quite a bit. So yeah, kind of sad, but is what it is. But I, I interned there as a designer and got a lot of uh, exposure in the design side. And for some reason, I do not know why, but for some reason in those internships, I knew that the more time I could get out on site, the more I could learn how things were built. And if I knew how things were built, then for sure I knew how to draw them. Yeah. Because it's the easiest part of the game, right? So whenever there was shingles to be picked up, two by fours to be picked up, I'd put my hand up and say, hey, I'll go out because I got to look Get around site the, yeah, and go around, look yeah. how a dormer's framed and look how foundations are poured and et cetera. So that was kind of my early on set learning. Then the architecture, engineering, construction technology program at Conestoga, I think it's more aligned to the the built aspect and how yeah. um, how things are actually assembled and how you can detail them rather than the design portion. So I guess I was just lucky enough that I have that I already had the design portion. Like it's a skill, it's a talent. Um, but one of the and one of the things that I do every day, even even now currently, like I I'm very passionate about creating luxurious aesthetically pleasing designs but they need to be buildable and they need to work like function yeah function yeah because i'm i'm very aware that you can design the the craziest looking most creative thing and with massive cantilevers and if it can't be designed or it's not matching the client's budget then it will always live on paper and you'll never be able to walk around in it how many of those do you have which ones on paper they're just oh, sitting there that they were presented and they didn't go with it for whatever reason whether it was oh, budget yeah. or design or just too extreme or not enough or yeah or yeah lots plenty of them huh yeah oh yeah what was the first project that you designed <laughs> uh well the first project that i ever designed uh was actually with i was i was working as that intern for french's fine homes and i was doing construction drawings and permit drawings and I had a really good buddy of mine, Alec Fulbert. His dad was a custom contractor in the Cortha Lakes area. Uh, And I would always go hang out with their family on the lake. And I would always tell him what I was doing at work. And he said, oh, I have this uh, 4,000 square foot home on, on the lake in Port Severn. Why don't you help me with the construction drawings? So I did. And so he was pretty impressed. And out of the blue, he said, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you start your own company? Like, why don't you do this yourself? And I said, what do you mean? And I was like 19, like, what, 19? Okay. 19 20 years old. I was yeah. like, what do you mean I can do this by myself? So he gave me a little spiel on what I could do or how I could start. And that's how I started. And that was the first? That was the first project I ever helped, I guess, you said design, but um, but you were a part. I was of the. I was a part of the design. I I still believe that 
in the permit drawings and construction drawings stage, there's still tons of design work to be done. I think um, in my in my experience and hiring different employees and talking to different people about what we offer uh, as a career or as a job at Forestry Design Associates, a lot of people are really they shy away from the construction documentation side because it doesn't seem as fun as the design side. But I completely disagree mm-hmm. because. Yes, the design side is fun and creative and you're starting with a blank piece of paper, but like the construction documentation side of things, you're still taking that initial design step and you're breaking it down into buildable details and parts and sections and working with engineers and other sub-consultants to make the thing actually work. So I like design. I'm principal design lead, as you said, but I'm also very involved in the construction documentation construction and engineering side of it. And I, that all that stuff fires me up the whole, the whole process. Contractors. It's time to empower your business with Shelta tech implementation. Shelta is offering a free meeting to tackle your biggest pain points head on their goal to develop a custom company app that's built just for you, solving your pain points, streamlining your processes, making your workday smoother. Here's the scoop. There's a $15,000 digital adoption grant available and Shelta is an expert at helping you secure it. This isn't just funding. It's your stepping stone into a new era of digital efficiency. By your second meeting, you'll get a tailor-made company playbook, a software prototype designed with your input, project tracking, real-time budget management, and daily logs all integrated into a single app. It's tech that works for you, not the other way around. Shelta isn't just offering tech. They're offering transformation. Join the community of 93 subcontractors who have already stepped up their game with Shelta Tech. Two meetings, countless opportunities. Ready to make a move? Visit Shelta.app. Let's pave the way to a smarter, tech-driven future. Shelta Technology, custom tech solutions for the modern contractor. You've also built here in, like, in the city as well, not just in North Cottages. You've built homes. Yeah, so yeah. there's one, but not a lot. Yeah, I would say that... Um, we have three projects, one in the Etobicoke area and two starting in the Oakville area. But um, not a ton, but I'm definitely looking for more work down here. I think over the – I took the business to Muskoka in Port Carling in 2016, and I think over that seven- to eight-year range, we have – done a really great job in the local area and we have I think a pretty good market share and now that we're well known we have established projects uh, clients know to ask us to propose on projects when they have them I think it's now time to reach out and start dabbling into other markets that I'd be interested in designing I think the Oakville market is great Uh, Toronto market's great uh we're working a bit in the Caribbean market as well. Um, That's right. Yeah, I saw that on the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so you got clients, I guess, that have properties here. They're building properties there. They want to work with somebody that they're familiar with. Yep. They trust. Yeah, well, in my experience, it kind of seems like you get introduced to a client and you're almost, if you do a excellent job, then you're almost with them wherever they go. Yeah. One of the, another huge passion of mine is the network that you make in this business in in the construction business as a as a whole and my 
the network that my team and myself have made is just super immense and it's awesome. It's fun. A lot of the clients that we work with become friends after, mm -hmm. especially with my, myself living in Muskoka all year round, especially in the summer. If I'm boating or out at restaurants or things like that, I'm seeing them. So it's uh, very important to me to give them the best service possible, uh, make an impression, be friendly, things like that. So are you working with different builders? Or are you kind of just working with a few hand-picked builders that you trust at? Because obviously there's the ups and downs regarding construction and tradespeople. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure that you've, same way, you've networked and grew. I'm assuming that you've found ideal builders that you like working with. Yeah, so when I first moved to Muskoka, it was a lot of uh, general contractors giving me work or introducing me to clients. And over the years, it's actually switched where clients are coming to, not totally, but clients are coming to me first. We're designing at least the conceptual package, and then we're going to uh, trusted contractors in the area. And I probably have about eight to 10 that I can pick from. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that ranges from me knowing the client and what their management style would be, would, would like to be, their budget, uh, and just who they are as a person, I would say. And then when I size them up, I can say, well, here's the three that I would suggest. But they're all reputable. We've all had uh, successful builds with them. So I don't shy away from talking to another contractor that I haven't worked with yet. But since our standards are so high and our clients expect high standards, I interview all the builders first. I want to see a project that they're most proud of. I want to see what their fee structures like, their management structures like, how they keep the the client apprised of what's happening on site and myself. Um, if they if they ask for RFIs or supplemental information, instruction, um, all those things are very important. I'm curious, Alex. Like. Um, I get the sense that there's a kind of certain vibe in, I guess, Ontario, Toronto, Muskoka, like the style of home that's being presented, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see a lot of clients taking huge risks. <laughs> is that the case? Like, is that what you're seeing? Because I'm sure that when you present your initial concept package based on your initial meeting with them, trying to get a personality you know, dossier on them, try to figure out who they are as a couple, as a family or whatever. I'm sure your wheels are turning and you're like thinking these great ideas and then you present them and they probably pull back for the most part. Is that, is that the case? I'd say it depends on budget for sure. And obviously the person as a whole, like their characteristics, if they're more risk averse or risk takers. Um, but I actually think, and I've read um, like magazine articles on this i actually think it's a part of the canadian like it is, stigma huh? yeah it's like we're kind of fine with how it is like we're not really like i've designed quite a bit in in america like the states and it's completely different they're open they're open to it they're willing to spend money on yeah. design fees the bills they're not afraid of those numbers no they and, want the quality they yeah. want passionate people that have great new ideas 
They want to try new things. Yeah. Canada doesn't want to do that. I see some of it actually happening out West. Mm -hmm. You get a little more creative out West or courageous out West. Yep. Um, nothing in the East. Uh, yeah, not really. Nothing it's, in Toronto. Like in like everyone's always trying to be the same kind of box. Well, I think it's, it's a lot of, um, I don't know if it's, it's probably a, a combination of the designer or architect not necessarily pushing back and the client saying, I want this, like going through like Instagram or Pinterest or finding a picture and be like, I like this, design me this. And then the designer's like, okay, well, that's easy. And we go ahead and design it. And, but, like, know, but you don't seem like the kind of guy that's looking for easy. You seem like the kind of guy that you're looking for something creative and challenging and something that's going to suit the person who's going to live there. Exactly. Like right. I am not like one of my no fly zones is I will not take a design that I've done before and give it to someone else because I really believe that two factors and they're very basic, but like the client and who they are and the land that the project site is on, those two factors alone should make the, the home completely different from anything else yeah. than we've ever designed before. Yeah. So we're not in the business of carbon copying or, um, yeah, just making money. Like I'm really passionate about knowing my clients, understanding them fully, understanding the project site fully, and just really diving into the details and giving them the best product and project possible. Can you share um, some buildings that you find fascinating that you come across, whether it's in Canada or probably far and few in Canada, but uh, outside of Canada, in the U.S., in the Caribbean, in Europe, obviously, there are certain buildings that you look at and you go, you know what, that was designed really well. That was built beautifully. That was like anything come to mind? Uh, kind of the first one that comes to mind, uh, there's, there's some, well, I guess I'll say this first. Uh, I have a huge affiniation with like heavy timber. I love I love using heavy timber. I love the look of it. Um, that's how I originally kind of started what I was doing at West, uh, designing at West. Uh, but I guess the first building that comes to mind is the Aspen Art Museum in okay. Colorado. Okay. And the timber work uh, in that building, completed by Spearhead Timber Works out in British Columbia, is absolutely amazing i gotta check it out okay yeah. and it's got like this basket weave of veneer along the entire facade wow. uh, it's stunning building and there's all these like inverted glue lamp parts in the ceiling that are exposed and i'm not hurt i'm not sure who designed it but it's i've been in the building looks up at ajax it's beautiful did they steam the timber to get it all basket I'd imagine. You'd have it's, to, right? Yeah, it's or unless they're getting larger and then shaping it, like cutting it. Yeah. But that's, yeah. Yeah, you should check it out. I definitely want to try it. So that, is, do you get, a are you excited about brick, stone, or any other um, I get ex I get excited about um, all of the more like raw materials. So like glass, steel, stone, wood, um, and just combining all of those together and different types of all of those. Um, because as I was mentioning a little bit before, like when I started this company, 
I was really drawn to heavy timber and incorporating that into custom home design. And I knew that out West and in BC that that is like the motherland of all of where that happens. So I, during, during college, I was just completing, I had my own clients and completing home designs and things like that. And I was just cold emailing all of these different heavy timber manufacturers out West through the Midwest, just saying like, Hey, uh, I can design this. This is a small portfolio of what I can do. If you want to work together, I would love to collaborate. And I got fortunate enough to um, get an email back from the owner of Canadian Timber Frames in Golden British Columbia. And he said, why don't you just come out and start a design department? And I was like, fuck yeah. How long are you there for? Uh in Golden, kind of like from Gold, when I moved out to Golden and I came back to Ontario, it was a span of four years. Okay. But but spanning in those four years, I got introduced to my mentor, uh, Tim Stone, which is Kelly and Stone Architects in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and Truckee in Lake Tahoe in California. Mm-hmm. And he, I got, I guess when I went out there, I had like a vision board of what I what I wanted to design and what the homes that I wanted to be a part of. And I would buy these magazines and Tim was advertising in them at that point. And I was cutting them out and putting them on my cork board and was like, these guys have got it going on. And uh, when I moved out to Golden and I started completing all these designs and construction documentation, since timber frame is such a niche market, Tim actually hired Canadian timber frames to complete the construction documentation and the timber frame design. So one day I still remember is like sitting at my computer, Jeff comes over. He's like, Hey, we have a new project. You're going to be a part of, you're going to be doing the construction documents on. And he shoved 11 by 17 pack of paper and it said Kelly and stone architects. And I was like, wow. And so I got to work with Tim, which is, he's a, one of the partners there. So, and I worked on that project with him. He saw my talent, he saw my skill. And I remember standing at my condo uh, out on the out, outdoor deck and he's like, dude, you should come down to Steamboat Springs and you should work with an actual architectural team and get exposed to what we're doing. So I packed all my shit and left and went down there. <laughs> and you got a, a slice of what? that kind of building is all about, right? Well, I got a, I got exposed to how architectural documents and design should actually be done. So they do an amazing job. So I got really exposed to that. Is there a lot of companies out here, like in Canada, that are not going down that path? They're just... I would say, like, I'm not going to name any names. No, no, no. Um, obviously, but I've heard of some where it's like, it's just like a... Cookie cutter cookie cutter design machine. It's like, yep, we'll do your house. We'll do your permit documentation done onto the next, onto the next. And that's fine. Like some people, not all clients are wanting the process uh, and design style and that we do. And that's fine because our fees are definitely higher than say like a cookie cutter, just let's get our permit documents done. So 
they have a niche, we have a niche, we can all play equally together. Using digital platforms in our industry is becoming more common, especially among the young folks, because it improves efficiency, prevents mistakes, and overall makes our lives as contractors easier. This is why we partnered with Connect Team, a platform built to manage, train, and communicate with your team. Connect Team's desktop version gives managers a live overview of the business to track work hours, create schedules, make sure the business meets compliance, and so much more. Employees just download the app to their mobile to clock in and out, share safety reports, and get updates all in one place, ensuring they've got what they need to perform at their best. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. Your clients, what? They range as young as what to as old as what? (laughs) As young as 20. Wow. To... 65, 70. All walks of life regarding career-wise, like different yep. types of whatever they're doing. Maybe no career. <laughs> um, and then I guess, um, I mean, I'd love for you to walk us through the process of uh, I come to you and you start designing. I give you, what are you asking me? What's the first question that's asked of me or for me? Uh, yeah, so uh, when you retain me, I'm going to be giving you our planning questionnaire, which goes through, depending on the project it is, we have different ones. Uh, If it's a boathouse, if it's a cottage, there's different uh, questions, things to get your mind going in that regard, where we have experience in the area about how we've designed before, how other clients experience their space, and just to get you start to think about that. So we'll give you that. You'll work on that. Uh, in that whole time, we're still doing like zoning review. Uh, we're doing, um, we're walking the site. We're looking at different views. We're creating the site plan. We're talking to the planning department, things of that nature. Uh, when we get the planning questionnaire back, then we're we book a discussion with you. We talk through it. Because there's some things that you ask that we'll dive into a little bit more and start to read between the lines. And once we have that program and your thoughts and we've walked the site and we understand everything perfectly, then we'll start into the conceptual design stage where that could be sketches, floor plans, mass modeling. We, we use uh, Revit for the software, for 3D modeling software, along with other ones as well. But we're walking through that stage. We we give a concept presentation to our clients as well. Uh, and through after that, if we're on the right page, then we're just completely designed to, going through design development um, with the ultimate goal of like construction, right? So mm. going to permit approval. So through that design development floor plans get more and more detailed um we shove the shove the model into realistic rendering we can do walkthroughs with our clients and we're looking for design approval as soon as design approval is given then we're going to permit documentation retaining all of our team uh supply like applying for building permits after that, we loop back and go back to the issued for construction documentation stage. And once we give our IFC documents to the contractor, 
then it starts construction and our construction administration goes from there. Do you prefer to start with um, floor plan or elevation as a sketch when you're just coming up with concepts? I actually have uh, a process where I will not show the client any elevations, any mass modeling until floor plans are around 80% complete. Reason being? Because everybody wants to see the pretty pictures. Everybody wants to fall in love with the elevation. Yep. It's actually smart to just don't show them the red dress. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Because like, everybody wants to see it. And and there's so many times that clients are like, well, I don't understand what you're trying to do because I can't see the exterior. And I just say, listen, you have to trust me. You hired me because I'm talented and we have a team of talented people. We know what it's going to look like. We want you to focus on the floor plan because we want to make sure that the function and the flow of the floor plan works well with how you want to live and the exterior, like we got this. But you already know what the elevation is going to look like, right? But you're just not presenting that card. Correct. Right. And also, I'm a very firm believer of you give me one floor plan and I could design the exterior like 10 different ways. It's true. You can. To a, to a certain point. So what's, uh, Alex, what's the... Uh What's the most important room that clients care about? What's the one room that they just embody the house? Like, this is my room, and Alex, this has got to be the holy grail of this structure here, and this is really critical. What's that one room? Well, I don't think there's one answer to that, Manny, because it it depends on clients. It's always some good. people, some people, it's the social spaces. Some people want um, a private, uh, more private uh, social space for the the primary suite. Um, some people it's the kitchen, some people it's the pantry, but I don't, I don't know if it's one, one part of the house. It's different, right? For everybody. It's different for everybody, but I think, uh, what we really focus on is making all rooms of the house equal and function and flow and beauty and views and. Homes are different, though. I mean, have you seen a change in the style of homes in, in the 13 years that you've been at it? I mean, they're dramatically different from decades ago and what clients were asking for then and what they are now, right? Yeah, and, like, I think that would change with the caliber of client that you would have as well. Um, like, a huge, a huge thing that I've seen definitely in Muskoka and cottages and is like every guest suite or either, even every bedroom will have like a three-piece ensuite or a three-piece bath to it. That's just standard these days. It's just a standard. It's like it's it does happen with shared baths and Jack and Jill's and things like that, but definitely any primary bedroom, secondary bedrooms, things like that, guest suites, all three pieces attached. I would say that... Um, Primary suite would have a walk-in closet, but very rarely I see any guest suites or things having, in my designs anyways, that I've been a part of. Uh, usually they're just like a bank of millwork, really nice millwork, integrated lighting, integrated shelving, storage, whatever, but it's all accessible to the room rather than walking into another space. And then I guess you're getting extremely involved with the extension of the home, right? So you're just, you're not just planning the layout of the home and 
the the elevation of the home you're also considering like the boathouse and another guest home yeah well that's coach house whatever it's going to be right so i guess i should have mentioned that in that process master planning is of the lot of the lot itself yeah uh one of my like my favorite project is coming on to a vacant virgin piece of land and my client has four, five, six buildings that they're wanting to develop. And it's my job to totally envision what this space is going to be like and how they're going to interact with the space and the views. And that's my favorite. Just like total blank canvas. Because now you can do the walk through the home. You can do the walk through the property, right? Yeah. You can see how everything's just going to connect when each dwelling is going to be connected with the function that's behind it, right? Mm-hmm. So when they start having their main house and then inviting guests and there's a function that's being coordinated or whatever, it all works that way, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say and like, um, I'd say that's, I think I like that because it's the most challenging um, because when you start getting into um, like say one or two buildings or even one building, like say let's, say they have a cottage and they're wanting a boathouse then you kind of have to you have to match typically you have to match the aesthetic of the cottage um whenever i'm walking onto a property i'm always looking for where private space and social spaces are okay because depending on the function and the building like say like a boathouse or a two-story boathouse it's a very social space you're on the water, there's usually soft seating, you're wanting to be in the sun, a bar, that's a very social space. So if there's a cottage already built and the client is wanting a boathouse, I'm looking how we can tie the social space of the cottage to the social space of the boathouse. Um, But with, so what I'm trying to say is when you walk onto a pre-existing site with other developed buildings, it's almost very apparent where they should go. Yeah. Obviously, not only spaces, but you got to think of wind, sun exposure, access, um, what the view is like. There's tons of different things that you have to think of. I know that, I don't know if I've ever asked this question of a designer, but um, contractors are not a huge fan of work that's well done and then too quickly demoed so what i mean by that i mean like they'll remodel the kitchen probably within 10 years or something like that Mm -hmm. how do you guys feel design wise like are you prepared or have you yet i don't think you have have you redone a project that you've already done i've not so but that's inevitable that it might happen you're in this business long enough it's gonna be a client come back going listen we love what you built it was Mm -hmm. great then but we want to redo this now. So are you ready to take a sledgehammer and just redo this again? I guess like I wouldn't shy away from it, but um, we always try to design like timeless, timeless designs, timeless interiors. Um, Again, with the Canadian market, you're not (laughs) getting like too, too crazy. Um, it's it's functional it flows well um but yeah i haven't got to that point where someone's saying yeah this was great 10 years ago but i'd like to remodel it would you do it of course we would we'd always like to service our clients yeah. pre-existing clients 
But you'll get people probably outside of Canada coming in going, I love the view. I love mm-hmm. the part of the lake that it's on. I love everything yep. about it, but I want to change this structure. So We've definitely done that for other people's projects. Okay. So Taking when, it right down to the footing or completely excavated everything out of there and started from scratch? It's a very interesting question or statement where it comes down to, do you start from scratch, do you tear everything down, or do you take it back to the studs and you renovate everything typically in my experience it's much less expensive and it gives the client the satisfaction of the space that they have or they own to just knock it down and start from scratch i know that doesn't sound great from a sustainable aspect but i don't know like no i'll argue the green thing over and over the best way to be green in this industry is don't build it's as (laughs) simple as that right Yeah, yeah Yeah. But, I mean, you can be smart about building and using certain kinds of materials. And like you said earlier, make it more efficient. Mm-hmm. So then it runs better and it maintains a healthy, happy home. Um, but if you, like, it's hard to argue the green thing. I, I just can't do it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just you, all the product that's being used, all the products are being shipped in. You start factoring all that in. It's just, that's the dwelling. That's what it is, right? Plus, you're sourcing out material from probably all over the world. Mm-hmm. that's coming in like we i love that canada does have the accessibility to get product from halfway around the world yeah brought here and used here on a dwelling here which is great mm-hmm. we that wasn't the case 20 30 40 years ago right nowadays you can which is wonderful yeah well i think another thing to help with um say like the built structure maintaining and like being timeless and standing the test of time is to design well-designed buildings that appeal to most people and have good scale proportion uh, function flow like there's and then so that means that going from this person who's using it to the next person they walk in and they say yeah there's nothing we want to change or we'll change the comforter on the bed or the pillows or something or the interior paint but like the the built form and the sticks and the like the forms they're going to stay the same they just need to be maintained so i think i've seen it happen so many times where there's a cottage in a boathouse and it's 10 years old the client comes in and it's like they just buy it for property value yeah and Knock the it buildings down. are gone the decision process and selecting your siding and colors can be challenging which is why Fraser Wood Siding is here to make the process as simple as possible. Their beautiful pre-finished wood siding is made using high-quality PEFC certified Canadian softwood, and it's available in 17 profiles in unlimited colors. Supplied by the global leader in paints, Sherwin-Williams. With distribution all over Canada, USA, and Europe, Fraser Wood Siding can help you achieve your desired look no matter the style. Visit their website, www.fraserwoodsiding.com, and check out their products online. You can even request a sample directly from the website. Simply click the request a sample link and fill in your information and your sample will arrive in just a few days. Fraser Wood Siding, get inspired. Which is, I mean, it's great for our economy and our industry and you can get to do a new project on the same land or whatever. Yep. Wonderful. But that's a different, um, yeah, it's different at that point. I'd love to know, I mean, I'm sure that you're listening to your clients and you're trying to get their input on what they want to create but what's that initial feeling that you want to achieve when you finish a dwelling and you're walking in there i'm sure that you probably are sketching at the very beginning and already thinking about 
how this home should feel while you enter that house, right? Yeah. What is it that you're going after? As a designer. Like, I would just say, like, I want... It has nothing to do with myself. No. Like, um, this is... I'm, I'm retained for my clients and what they're wanting at the end of the day. I should have... I know I'm designing the house, but I should have no say on, like how I think it should be or anything like that. But I want, when a client walks into a home that FDA is designed, I want them to feel like a sense of comfort, a sense of awe, comfortability, um, a sense of home. Do like, they tell you that? Or you actually, you see it when they do the final walkthrough and everything's all good? I see it. I see it when we do the final walkthrough, like, um, one thing I did want to touch on at some point is that we're vertically integrated, not only in architecture and planning, but interior design, structural engineering, mechanical engineering, and landscape architecture. So we have the ability to really like custom tailor all details. Those, those are like, I would say five of the main departments when it comes to building a custom home like that. So I have the ability to quarterback that entire process and make all the details as detailed as we want. And when usually a part of the interior design process is stylizing and accessorizing at the end of the day. So when I've heard from my business partner or I've seen it, like a lot of the times the clients are crying just because it's, it's just a sense of like, it's, like completion, right? It's like a two, three year project of so many decisions and frustration and like it's all come to an end to this and they get to walk in and feel what it's like to be in the space. But there's a lot of details in your projects that are connected. Like you could see that. You can see that interior of the home, Mm -hmm. the deck, for example, let's just say a deck or a walkway, a pathway or a boathouse or a structure, like everything is connected. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't look like anything that's around that home or in that home is not a part of that dwelling. Correct. You know what I mean? And and you've done that on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Where you want people to walk in there, but you also want people to use the space outside of the home. It's not just about staying in that home. I don't know. Board up the doors and just <laughs> keep the climate control safe for the rest of the year. And that's it. You're done. No, it's about getting into that home, opening up the doors, going outside to mother nature and enjoying it. But having still the same sense of that home that you got inside on the outside, right? Yeah. That's done by design. Yeah. Well, especially in Muskoka where that is, that is the pinnacle of what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to blur those lines of indoor to outdoor spaces and those outdoor spaces that the landscape architecture firm designs. It's just as comfortable. It's just as functioning as the inside of the home. And therefore, yeah, open up all the doors. I'd love, Alex, for you to just share some insight on certain materials that you're loving these days that you really like working with, whether that be, you know, cabinetry, stone tops, mm-hmm. ACM, whatever, any kind of exterior cladding, decking boards. I don't I don't think you were using any composite boards, were you? I don't think I saw any composite on your projects. No. Yeah, no, it was all wood. Yeah, because, we're using all wood. Yeah. And I would typically say that I... For siding, I love using wood siding. 
along with other materials, obviously, but wood gives a nice warmth, uh, texture, feel to the home. One, one prod or one product that we're looking at specking and uh, installing on our projects is heat treated pine. Heat treated pine. Yeah. Like Instead a thermally of, modified pine. Yep. Yeah. From whom? Uh, Muskoka lumber. Really? Huh? Yeah. They're producing it here. Um, are they treat, I'm not sure. Say, are they treating? I think they're it buying here? it. I think they're buying it treated, but okay. I, I'm not sure exactly. But well, that's that's pine. That is pine. That's thermally modified pine. Mm-hmm. Scott pine. Well, it's so this is select pine that we're that we're using. Yeah. And typically, I would have used uh, like vertical grain clear cedar. It gives like you can wire brush it. It gives a, a beautiful, beautiful grain and texture for the side of a building. Select heat treated pine gives a similar approach and texture, but not as great in my opinion. But the upside of the heat treated pine is that there's little to no moisture, like two to four percent maybe. Are you still so, getting big chunks of knots or no? No, select. So it's no all select. So yeah. no knots at no all. No knots. Are you oiling it before you install it? It's totally like it can be totally stained, yep. uh, painted, whatever. So there's, we usually, for some of our custom stain process, they, uh, they might be like a two to three part stain process to get a custom color. Yeah. And then obviously um, sealed with a product. Vertical boards mostly or horizontal? Uh, if you told me I had to choose, I'd do horizontal all the time. Yeah, nice, sir. Just because... Um, one of the things that I've learned along the way um, that really promote good design and uh, great proportion is designing to human scale. When you start orienting siding and boards vertically, it automatically gives the the view of it's a higher space, right? Yeah, it does. So when you start orienting the boards horizontally, brings the form down, makes it feel more cozy. More pleasing to the eye. Yeah. Now you can switch them, change them. I've done, like, say, vertical board and batten on lots because that's a very traditional Muskoka facade. You mostly go in with metal roofs, typically. Typically, right? Yeah, that or uh, cedar shake. But then cedar shake, you got how long? About twenty, twenty-five years before. Yeah, we, we actually um, have come up with a detail working with contractors where it's double strapped. So it's not it's not laid on like you're sheathing your ice and water and your cedar breather. We're actually double strapping the roof so that there's an inch and a half of cross ventilation underneath the entire cedar shake roof. I never so that. yeah, because it lasts longer. Oh, for sure. Because the whole reason that cedar shake doesn't last is because the moisture. water gets underneath yeah, and moisture. it just rots it. Right. Yeah. So if you can get it off that surface and if you can get air infiltration, then there really should be no problem. Technically, it would last forever. Yeah, because they do have cedar, like the tannins in it as well, yeah. help with that. Yeah. The only thing is, is that how you would really make a cedar roof last forever is had like uh, install old growth cedar, because all of the younger growth stuff is splits, splits, and it doesn't have like the natural tannins and that the old growth does. So. And then on the interior, what are you um, what are you using for deck boards? Actually, before we get to the interior, what are you using for deck boards? Um, 
For docks, we do a lot of uh, two by eight, two by eight PT cedar. Okay. Or like a Brazilian hardwood, so like an Ipe, Ipe. Kumaru, things like that. I know that there's uh, heat treated ash. I think they're looking at heat, um, doing mahogany as well. We have yet to spec any of that at this point, but two by eight cedar, Ipe is Ipe is a premium product. It's about thirty. Are we ever gonna run out of Ipe? I just, I, I think people match. talk a lot about how it's like there's a shortage of it and that's the premium price and mm -hmm. you know like it's just I'm just wondering is there ever going to run out of that supply or no that's not the case maybe ePay but I think like there's other Brazilian hardwoods yeah. out there that you can use that are very similar uh, density and durability like that Kumaru is another Brazilian hardwood that I've I think it's the grain that clients used. love so much because ePay's got that unique grain and same with the mahoganies is that unique mm -hmm. grain once you start getting into it, ash has got a nice grain too but once you get into i guess traditional cedar it's got a specific grain and i guess a lot of people don't want that but it's the maintenance as well too right because you're getting a lot of sun and you're, gonna, you're getting a lot of wear on it too seasonally, right yeah so like ipe it uh will last really forever especially the lifetime of the client or the project um and I, you can oil it to bring it back to that yep. like more red, ready brown color. But I love when Ipe goes that grayish silver. Do color. clients because I'm in the same boat. I like that stuff as well too. Like I, I like when you get that silver patina. I totally People love, love it. it. I, I, for me, when I walk on it barefoot, it feels warmer. Mm -hmm. Like I like that feeling. That's why I've never been a huge fan of composite because you don't obtain that feel. I yeah. can step on composite, and depending on the season, um, it doesn't give you that feeling, that natural feel to it. But, I mean, when it's a weathered Ipe or weathered kind of deck board, it feels great when you walk yeah, on well, you it. Yeah, well, you can't beat wood. Like No. Another, I guess another um, siding material that I have used that I do actually really like the look of is, have you ever heard of Oko Skin? No. It's a cementaceous tile. You can okay. get it in one color or you can get it in a tri-blend color um, and it stood off the build. So you'd sheet your building, uh, wrap your building, and then you would have these inverted metal hats and you'd install them and then you'd wrap the building in a black uh, waterproofing membrane as well so that because you can see through the cementaceous tile because it's spaced about, say, like a quarter inch apart. What size tile is it's about six inches by 36, okay. something like that. And you're laying it, or you're... Horizontal. You could lay it any way you want. But we, on our buildings, we've laid it horizontal. And it looks like just a large brick or something, or... No, it looks like a flat, cementaceous tile hmm. with all exposed fasteners and so gaps between it all. Then. Yep. All mm -hmm. fully waterproofed. And it looks pretty slick. Where's that out of? What country came up with that? That I do not know. Wasn't Canada? Couldn't have been the Canadian product. No way, it wasn't Canadian product. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Probably sounds German or something like that. Possibly. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay, and then going on in the inside, what are they asking for there? Uh, MDF seems to be a thing of the past. They won't, they're going back to pop. Uh, drywall oh, drywall returns they're going back to reveals right yeah. they're going back to all that now eh? and there's so many different interesting cool things that you can do with drywall that yeah that's that's the hot ticket are you getting into um i guess 
cornerless cornerless drywall applications mud without mud on the corner and, and all kinds of things like that and shaping oh. drywall no never i'm not too involved in the um i'll say like the design of the interior design i we have a great team of 10 ladies uh in our office and they do an amazing job at all the the details i've never heard of that though I, the only reason I bring it up is because I'm actually in talk with um, a company that has the machine that makes it, and they've shown me um, um, what they can do, and they've invited me. I'm going there tomorrow to go to the factory to check it out. I've already seen what it can do, and I'm like, yeah, I'm already sold on this, right? So what is it again? It's, um, I don't know how to describe this. It's, I mean, I'm sure people probably have seen this in Europe where you're, um, it's a CNC board, like you're CNC drywall on the reverse so you're channeling out V grooves so then you can fold the drywall and not mm. have to put a corner bead on it now. Oh, really? You can do it with reveals. You can do it with curves inside, outside. You can shape the drywall. You could uh, do all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's whatever your creativity uh, puts into the computer. And then it just, and this can all be done on site. That's oh, the beauty of it. So it's very, very cool. And I'm going to go check it out. And then hopefully we're going to do a show about it to talk about it. Mm. Because I definitely think that uh, there's a lot of countries in Europe that are doing this right now. They're already planning. And Asia does it a lot as well too in a lot of commercial applications. Okay. Um, but I definitely see it just like killing residential, like especially wow. projects that you guys are doing hmm. where it's um, you'll get a true 90 corner inside out. You're not messing with mud that much. You're literally just shaping board and and you have to do a lot of work and math on the back end to get this all done properly mm -hmm. and then once you get it it's literally installed like nothing and then you're just muddying the joints at that point yeah well that would take uh some labor out of it right yeah 100 percent. but it would take a smarter mudder to do it properly but it's like when i looked at it i didn't look at what the traditional way of drywalling what it's going to do to it it's mm -hmm. going to open up more creative output that's what it's going to do you're going to start thinking about new ways of doing drywall returns because I agree with you. That's where most clients are going. Yeah. They're going that, that way where they want these cleaner looking, I guess, bigger looking windows because you yeah. don't have a trim. You don't have casing. You don't have any of that stuff. So all you have is glass mm -hmm. and that's all you're seeing, right? So it's wall glass and you look outside. But same with openings as well. All your door openings, you're not having that large casing as much as you want to do that uh, traditional looking stuff with yeah. this that and you know well, it's even even like with some of the more traditional cottages that we have designed obviously everyone's a little bit different but um looking for cutting edge solutions for your spray foam needs look no further than elastic chem specialty chemicals with a remarkable track record spanning over three decades elastic chem stands as an industry leader supplying contractors across canada with top grade close cell open cell and specialty foam products and accessories experience hassle-free spraying in both summer and winter with insulthane extreme Canada's groundbreaking HFO closed cell product. Time is precious and we know it. Optimize your efficiency and avoid downtime by choosing the best products with the best technical and customer support. Elevate your spray foam game today with Insulthane Spray Foam products by Elasticam. Give them a try today. Visit their website at www.elasticam.com or give them a call at 1-877-787-2436. It's... it's a traditional looking outside cottage and the interior is like totally modern contemporary, which yeah, I'd, I'm not a huge fan of like casings and things of that nature. Like I'm a fan of simple minimalistic 
And especially when it comes to doors and windows, it's like you bought the property for the view. Let's accentuate the view. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see any like a huge amount of shaker kitchens in your properties. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, climb, that's more they, traditional. Yeah, people say. don't want that. People want, um, but I, I mean, you are working with a lot of interesting wood veneer patterns, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really beautiful. Yeah, there's a, a really cool, um, there's like an iron-on finish. I'm sure it's not iron-on, but it's like heat-treated. It's called Phoenix, okay. F-E-N-I-X. I know that we've used it in a, f- a few of our projects, and it's not wood. It's like an actual finish that's applied to the wood cabinet, and it gives a really nice, clean, modern finish. So after you've fabricated the panel, you're applying this finish to it? I believe so, yeah. On-site or off-site? No, on-site, or off-site, sorry. So it's still manufactured that way. Mm-hmm. But it's done after the fact, eh? Yeah, it's like an ap- applied to the built cabinet. So you're also applying it on the edges as well, too, and on the mm-hmm. backside? Yep. Wow. And what kind of designs are we talking? Like wood designs or anything you want? Literally anything you want, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's and a I cool guess, product. That's a very cool. That's interesting. And what are clients asking for stone-wise these days, flooring-wise? Um, we do a lot of, uh, obviously in, we're trying to use more local products in Muskoka. So it's a lot of granite, um, use a lot of two inch, uh, natural stone veneer as well. Um, and we set like there's, there's granite that's locally. And then there's also imported granite as well. That's that we're using as well. What do you prefer? Um, I like the the natural and the local granite if it doesn't have the pink in it. There's a lot of pink graining through Muskoka granite, and that's very just uh, there. It's just there. You can get like totally pink granite. Really? Yeah, but it's for for a kitchen in the '80s. In my advice, that would have been great. But yeah, but like today. for. For more modern contemporary buildings, then you're wanting more like monochromatic stones and not a lot of graining. So you're looking for more like grays, blacks, whites, things like that. So with different granites that you get from around the world, like China, India, things like that, for some reason, it's still granite and it's just as hard as local granite, but it's more monochromatic. So depending on the project, we might spec local, we might spec imported. How conscious are clients these days about lighting in the home? I don't know how conscious clients are, but I know that we are very conscious. Yeah, that's what I was getting, going with it, right? Yeah. So it's like are, are, I'm sure you guys are educating the clients how important that one line item is. Oh, yeah. Right. And it could be a big one. Yeah. And like really, um, I totally believe that – you a, a project could flop based on lighting, especially like, well, outdoor and indoor. But like if you're not accentuating or, or if it's too much lighting or the color is off, the temperature, then you might as well have not even done it. That's the biggest problem I have. As much as I talked about how you enter a home and you've got that feeling when you enter that home, mm-hmm. 
if I see the color temperatures off oh, from yeah. different fixtures or different accents or different needs, mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't, I get a sick feeling at that point. I look yeah. at it and I'm going, someone wasn't paying attention to what needed to be done truly here, right? Mm. I don't need to adjust this in Photoshop later on when I photograph <laughs> no. the place. I yeah. need to adjust this to my natural eye when I'm looking at the place, right? Yeah, in our interior design firm, that's all the detail that they go into. And if the fixtures come with different uh, lighting temperatures and colors, part of that closeout period is going around, buying different light bulbs, making sure it's all the right temperature, color for the room, for the ambiance that it needs to be. And your yeah, walkthrough, I know earlier you were talking about how you're creating 3D mock-ups, walkthroughs. Are you incorporating that lighting scheme in there as well so they're getting mm-hmm. a sense of what that home is going to look like at night, what dusk, sunrise, everything. everything. So when, I, when I'm when i selling our process or our, yeah, when, our, when I'm selling to a client our process, one of the things that I always say is we're pre-building the home before we even put a shovel in the ground because... We are modeling everything in 3D. So we're modeling all the architecture, all the interiors, all the structural engineering components, all the mechanical engineering, and even the landscape. So one of my passions is making sure that these clients who pay us a lot of money and are spending quite a bit on this invested property, we want them to be as comfortable and educated as possible so that when they're faced with decisions to make, they can make them comfortably and educated and have satisfaction that they know what's going on. So, yeah, uh, we use a, a software, like a plugin for Revit called Enscape, and it's a real-time rendering software. And, yeah, if you delete something, it'll delete it on the other screen. If mm. you turn on a light here, it'll turn on here. You can put a different location wherever we're designing. We can do a different time of year. We can swing the sun back and forth so we can go from night to day. And it's a rendering software, so we're getting as close as we can so that people can understand. But obviously, it's going to be different at the end of the day, but we're trying to give... You're getting as close as possible. We're trying to, yeah. Without physically walking through that structure, right? (laughs) But it's nice that today's technology, you have the freedom to open up the spread of the light, mm-hmm. the reach of the light, the mm-hmm. temperature of the light, the purpose of the light, right? Which I've always said is critical. I mean, there's a lot of attention put into home automation on other aspects of things. Mm-hmm. But I think that there still still be a lot of care put on the lighting side of things. Because I, yeah, I, I do it at home. I just, I do it so, you know, when it's early evening you're getting ready for dinner you're setting light a certain way mm-hmm. when you're getting up in the morning you're setting light a certain way mm-hmm. i think that is more important when it gets to the health of the home instead of the green of the home yeah and you know what i'm talking about like the catcher lights yeah so you start getting into a home and how you mentally are going to wake up and feel or even walk around in that home i think that's far more valuable than making this home sustainable right mm-hmm. Because you spend so much time in that dwelling, yeah. right? Or out of that dwelling or come to that dwelling, right? So mm-hmm. it's just, I think these are critical factors. But your clients are, they're at least aware of this, right? Or oh, they yeah, bring it up to you, you guys bring it up to them. We usually would bring it up to them or they're, they're coming educated because they've seen something or something like that. Anybody talking to you about EMF? 
Or is that EMF is just out the door? You right are right now. now. No, <laughs> I just never, <laughs> never even heard of that. What's that? Electromagnetic field. So a lot of people are just oh, okay. shutting down the whole Wi-Fi in the home and oh. the signaling going on and all that crap. And and I'm just like, yeah, it's great until you want to have a function mm-hmm. where you require all these things. Right. Right. We get it. We don't want your kids to be in a pool of this stuff, mm-hmm. but it's a double edge at that point. Right. So mm-hmm. I've had these conversations with certain clients where they want to be more emf conscious of things hmm. but the trade-off is go build a tent in the middle of the forest and then you'll be completely gone of emf <laughs> right or maybe you design like an emf room in the house you can do you that can you like... can do certain areas we've done that where you're shutting off power when you go to sleep oh yeah right so all your receptacles around the bed are not working so you're not keeping your cell phone devices or any kind of wi-fi devices anywhere near you while you sleep mm-hmm. we've done the magnetic lead tape uh, copper tape um, around the bed embedded mm-hmm. into the floor before we even install the flooring. So then you've got a, a safe zone where the sick, this is, is it true or not? That's <laughs> debatable. Right. But okay. I've had these conversations with clients. I've never heard of that. It's really interesting. I, d- I don't think you, you guys would like those clients that you guys are working for. I don't think they would, because they realize what the trade off is for you to eliminate this into sort of safe areas mm. you got to get rid of technology completely right but you're building a home that you are so heavily attached to technology yeah well i would i so like we typically are designing like second third homes vacation homes we might get into more of that when we design more single family homes that you're using every single day um but right now it's you're there for weekends weeks at a time Things of that nature. I guarantee you that when you start getting the single family, especially in Toronto, mm-hmm. and you might get a client that will want to eliminate as much EMF and sh- start powering things down and having all this shit ready and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then the moment that you do the assessment, and part of the assessment is showing where all the uh, cell phone towers are in the neighborhood. Mm. And, you, and Toronto is notorious for this. They're extremely close. Yeah, extremely close. And Toronto having all of their above ground hydro wires doesn't help EMF. Mm. It's all coming from those wires. And those wires are all parked right next to the home. Mm. So it's like, for sure, you can keep the home perfectly safe of EMF signals and why all got crap. When you step outside, yeah. you're in a pool of it. So what's the point of all this? Why are we going to fight this, right? Mm. That's just Toronto. That's how it is. Until Toronto learns how to bury things, yep. you know what I mean? Not be a job. Not media reports, but <laughs> just bury hydro. Yep. Uh, it, it, it serves no purpose at that point. But well, you go back to the green argument, right? Yeah, well, I know that um, I'm working on the projects in Oakville that we have with Hummingbird Hill Homes. Yeah. Um, and I know that they have a huge environmentally friendly, healthy home green sustainable movement and they're pretty passionate about that as well so looking at building efficiency and insulating qualities and using the ketra lighting and it does work it's just if you're going to go that route you got to go that route yeah like you got to start factoring everything otherwise it's um i guess it's kind of like that classic you build a contemporary home in toronto but you don't go full contemporary because you <laughs> couldn't afford it. Yeah. So you built parts of the home contemporary and then the rest of the home was built traditionally Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Which looks like a mistake at that point. So it's like you got to commit or don't commit. Yeah. And I think those are for, from a designer aspect, I think it's a very good thing to have those upfront conversations at the beginning of the project where what is the budget 
And if it is going to go traditional or contemporary or whatever they're trying to do, well, where can we push and pull? And is it going to be pulled off successfully? And that's why I really like to have the contractor retained pretty much right after conceptual stage or design approval or we're getting close. I like to have contractor interviews, hopefully retain one, because then we can start the tendering process, get a budget going, and if we're close to the budget or if the client is willing to extend their budget, then great. But if not, then we need to value engineer, and we want to be a part of that because we want to make sure that our architectural design intent stays intact, even though it's, say, a a lower budget. Have you in any of your projects ever come across, um, I guess, on-site with a virgin lot, um, some on-site difficulties, like whether it be rock or undiscoverable? or Every day. Or the forest police or, like, whatever, like, all that stuff I don't happens. think we necessarily get um, any forest police or – I guess we do have to deal with Ministry of Natural Resources yeah. whenever we're designing a two-story boathouse or a boathouse with uh, plumbing in it. We have to have a permit for that, but typically with the right documentation, they don't give you any any fuss. It's just a lease or you can buy the land under the dock mm-hmm. and you just move forward. But yeah, like there's, um, especially in Muskoka, like almost every project you have to deal with natural exposed bedrock and depending on client budget and uh, project siting, you're blasting. And there was, say, like, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, there was tons of cottages that you would pick the project site, you'd start excavating, you'd find bedrock. Okay, well, then that's our main floor level or whatever (laughs) it is, and they'd they'd scrape the organics, pin the foundation, and build from there. Yeah. But, like, water ever, like, water always wins. So any groundwater that's going underneath there is going right into that crawl space and it's probably not sealed up correctly. So that's where you get that cottage smell. Yeah. So even, even today, like good building practice is we're siting the building. We have to have a line item or an allowance in for site alteration like that, because even if there's a little bump, in the natural bedrock, we want to pop that off and we want to seal it out with a, a slab and then build up. Don't miss it on huge savings. Visit goiguide.com slash shop and use promo code TCL podcast to get deep discounts on an iGuide system. Everyone loves swag and I love giving it away. So if you're listening and you're interested in learning more about iGuide, shoot me an email rjohnston at planetar.com or a message on LinkedIn and I'll send you free swag just for saying hello. I've got free t-shirts and toques, and I can't wait to give them away. I've also got special offers for TCL listeners, so it's worth your time to reach out. So, yeah, there's no basements. You're not dealing with any kind of basements. No, we, do with, we deal with um, yeah. walkout basements all the time. Some I've been involved in projects where we've blasted many, many feet down just to get that walkout basement, and with that, Whenever we're dealing with blasting bedrock, we're always blasting, say, 18 to 24 inches below basement slab grade. Okay. And say, like, if it's any exposed building, like, say, it's behind a garage or the eave of a house, 
we need like eight to 10 feet of uh, allowance around the building so that snow, ice, water can go down. And then we're backfilling all the back of the foundation with clear gravel so that any water, any drainage can go right you down underneath the building yeah. and not through it. Have you tackled, I don't know if you have an island, any? Homes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. you've done it. Eh? Yep. Logistics nightmare, no? Challenging? Not nightmare. Not necessarily Challenge. for me, okay. but... Uh, for builders. For builders, of course. And there's a premium to building on islands as well. Yeah. Like 30% more just from barge access and materiality. and What falls in the water. Uh, yeah, what <laughs> falls in the water. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been in lots of... In, in even uh, in Muskoka, some sites that are mainland are so steep, you have to treat them as island projects. So mm. everything is barged in. We've even, we've even used helicopters on projects. To bring in material? Bring in material, bring in concrete. Wow. It's more expensive, but... More efficient. Well, we're, we're building, like, gone are the days of shutting things down for winter work, right? It's like we're powering right through. So people want their vacation residences for July 1st, the summer, things like that. I think a lot of clients... When I first started, a lot of people were saying, like, we'll give you the keys on Labor Day and we'll take them back with a finished place on July 1st. That, and I don't know how, I don't think it was great education or I don't even know if it ever happened. But a lot of people now understand that for a custom cottage, 7,500 square feet with all the, the bells and whistles, that's going to be a 24-month process. Yeah, that's not a single year. Yep. Half of that, you'd be scraping a single year. But yep. still, variables not included. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, as soon as you... There is... Um, getting back to your whole site alteration and whatever question, uh, there is software out there now that it's almost like sounding, where you can, f you can oh, wow. roughly find Gee, where the idea. bedrock is. Really? Yeah. So we've been involved in projects where the excavation contractor has that software and we can do different um, volume quantities or calculations where it's like, okay, if, if basement slab is at this, we're taking out this many meters. If it's here, this many, and then we can say, okay, what's the budget and where's the view? Is it worth it going down? We'll make a decision and then they start going. So it's at least... You don't know for sure, but at least it's more calculated than gauge. just being like, yeah. okay, let's bring an excavator on site and see what we got. And then, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and stone. Then first hit, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden it's just pure stone at that point. Yeah. So that's, um, but like dealing with blasting is inevitable in our market. Uh, it's needed for building like sound buildings. And it also gives like a beautiful exposed facade of stone for like parking or views from inside the cottage or whatever. So have you had a chance to build your own place? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Are you planning? Oh yeah. Planning on it. Got lots of ideas. <laughs> no doubt. Like I just <laughs> assume that ideas that you've presented to clients or ideas that haven't been approved or just ideas that you keep on messing around with just on the side to figure out when you find the right lot, I guess, uh, 
to yep. start building it from that point. Yeah, it's definitely dependent on the lot, but I know that if I were to build something for myself, it would be definitely more of that more mountain contemporary aesthetic. So wood, steel, glass, comfortable, cozy, homey, timeless. Are your clients going more? I mean, I, I guess assuming you're forced air in it, right? But you can still go radiant. Are they? Oh yeah, we're most most floors. We're always pouring like an inch and a half of lightweight concrete. Yeah, radiant or at least plumbing for it if they're not wanting to go the full way. We're at least plumbing for it. Um, but radiant heat is great for a stable temperature. But say if they come up on the weekend and it's a little chilly in there. We always put propane back up okay. and we have to do, we have to duck the entire thing for, for AC, AC anyway. anyways. Yeah. So you might as well add a furnace. And if you're getting into a larger home, then you might have three propane furnaces. Um, but yeah, typically it's propane backup, rating and floor heating. Please tell me that your clients are asking for wood fireplaces and not gas fireplaces. Um, They're not? They. It depends on the client, but if I were to... Don't people know how to make a fire these days? <laughs> I'm just assuming that they know. How, I'm. I don't, am I wrong or what? No, they do. But okay. I like I, I like to spec unless the if the client doesn't care or they leave it up to me. I typically spec a wood fired pri fireplace in like say Muskoka room or an outdoor room, and then gas on the inside. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're keeping. Unless you want, like, it's a massive great room and we're wanting that fire ambiance and um, real look, feel of a fire, then we're putting that in. But that's client-specific. But a wood fire should be included in all projects, especially in ours. Any, um, any interesting rooms? Any panic rooms? Any interesting wine cellars? Um. Oh, there's a there's a project on Lake Muskoka that's hidden behind some door in the in the basement. That's a whole whiskey room, cigar lounge, poker table. Nice, but like the the interior finished carpenter did a, such a great job that you'd never know. It's actually very similar to like your slat yeah. detail here, where it's like you need to know where to push Which to one? get open. Yeah. Which and is totally then, cool, and then you get and then you get into this room that just is awe inspiring, right? Mm. And then actually in that same project, and it's a big place; it's eighty five hundred square feet, and there's two bunk rooms that are hidden by bookshelves, and you need to know which book to pull. Oh, it's very like Harry Potter esque. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So you're just drawing that out, you're designing that, and then you're letting, I guess, the trade to take over how it's going to be produced, right? Uh, our interiors department would work with the carpenter, the general contractor, and the manufacturer of whatever that whatever the bookshelf yeah. is, right? And then we're there all the steps of the way to make sure that our design intent stays intact. It's nice, man. I like it. There's I think that one. There's um, one interesting one that uh, we designed. I've never designed it before, but the client tells me that they use it all the time. Um, in a specific project, we had great room, dining, kitchen, and then the primary suite was on the right-hand side. And instead of doing a Muskoka room or something else, we made the entire living area, that whole 
great room, dining, kitchen. We made that the Muskoka room. So there's pocketing doors that can slide all open, screens come, and then another door that shuts it off to the rest of the house so that that can be totally unconditioned and be one with nature. Okay. But then there's another room that you go into the primary suite, but it's as large as a living room and it's got its own fireplace and it's got its own soft lounge and space to work as well, but it's a part of the primary suite. So that was a very, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of that right off the hop, uh, but that was a very client specific ask and we worked together with the client to pull it off and we did because he uses it every day. And they're enjoying it. Oh yeah. So there was, that's kind of, I like that idea. It's pretty clever. And there's still seating area in the actual primary suite itself. Like at the foot of the bed, there's two really nice accent chairs, but this is like almost his sanctuary where like he can come and watch the football game. He can be on his computer. He can have his kids come in and he can close it off to the rest of the house. So it's like an inner sanctuary deal. I'm just curious for homes that are, I still don't understand how small families need 7,500 square feet, but to be it, you know, whatever, it's it's their deal, it's their home, their money, they have all that, right? So, I mean, what's the going rate these days for a home like that, for someone that wants to build something like that? I'd say like average cost per square foot for things that we're designing is about 800 bucks a square foot. Yeah, I figured it, I was thinking closer um, to for $1,000, yeah. But we have design tons for well above a thousand, even above 2000. But that's what it costs. So I don't think it's expensive. That's what it costs. Yeah. Well, it's, I think I have found that you can build a home for X amount of square foot, but when it really starts hiking up in dollar amount is when you start specking the interior. Yeah. And that's why I know that it's so important to have an interior designer on the project because then you really know the full breadth of your budget. Mm -hmm. If you can, like, I'm sure everyone's seen it where you see these like 20,000 square foot homes and there's like a stick of furniture in the corner where it's like they've built this whole thing, but they don't have any money left to. Yeah. Uh, I was poor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we don't want to do. So we want to make sure that, we want to pre-plan as much as possible so that there's a budget, there's a line item, and everything that we design is in the house so it doesn't look unfinished. And we don't want to go through the whole process and spend years of our lives designing this to like have something come out half-ass at the end of the day. Yeah, like There's, there's no point to me because it's actually kind of crazy... Uh, what I've learned in this field where there's not much, like there's a lot of businesses where you could say you're making a chair. It's like you could make a chair in a week and be like, look, this is the chair that I make and you can buy it for X. For myself and for my team, it's like until when we start with a client and until we have a finished project and finished pictures, it could be years. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really, like, you can have renderings and things like that done, but, like, no one is really, there's a there's a ton of times where clients, when they're looking to retain me, 
I can have the best sales process and I can have the most references and, but they still want to see something and they want to feel it and they want to walk into some space and they want to feel how it is to have an FDA home. But they're also understanding that this isn't like it's going to get done by the end of the year mentality. No. It doesn't work that way, right? No. Well, and, and if, when I, I have lots of inquiry calls and it's, I can almost tell within the first, I don't know, 15 minutes if it's going to be, if it's going to work out for like if it's one of our clients or not. Typically, um, if they're asking for pricing off the top, not our client. No. Because um, we're not, we're not comparable on pricing. We're comparable on experience and the service that we do. Like what we've really tailored our sales process and how we design, it's an experience with FDA. It's not a deliverable. Yeah. There's deliverables within the experience, but if you're just looking for building permit drawings, then you're in the wrong store. I agree with you because then they just need to understand that there's a, a respect to the process. Yeah. It's as simple as that, right? Well, and there's a cost difference. I've used the, I've used the, <laughs> the example before where if you went into a Lamborghini store and the price tag's 400 grand, and if you went to the sales rep and you're like, well, how much is this carbon fiber handle and how much is this tire and this rim and everything like that? They'd say like, dude, get out of here. Like yeah. this is, you're buying the experience. You're buying Lamborghini. You're not itemizing all the parts. So it's a very similar process where this is the experience that we're selling and this is, it's a process. It's the service level. It's, it's the talent and the experience of what we have. That's what you're buying. I think we're getting close to the, the 10 questions I got to ask you. That's about it. Is there anything else you want to share, Alex? I think you covered quite a bit. It's good. Yeah. Did you shoot anything? <laughs> we like having spectators in the studio um alex for shoe for shoe right yeah uh principal designer ceo for shoe design associates inc uh 705-341-8266 and it's triple w for shoe da.com a for shoe at a for sorry a for shoe at for shoe da.com and then on ig it's for shoe underscore da you got it what's your favorite construction word Buildable. Buildable. What's your least favorite tool? <laughs> the fiend tool. Oh, the multi, the oscillating? Yeah. yeah. It depends on, I'm trying to still figure out if it's fiend or fine. I don't yeah, know. Fiend, fine, I'm not sure. Fiend, fine, I don't know. What it is. I don't but like I know it. what you're talking about. It's not very accurate. But mind you, the fiend or the fine is the quietest one out of the bunch of oscillating tools out there in the market. Oh, yeah? It's the quietest one. Uh, what construction sound do you love? This was a really hard one for me because I'm not on site all the time or whatever, but I would say that my favorite stage of the process or like the build process is lockup stage because you can really see the forms, the glasses in. So I would say my favorite sound is the peeling of ice and water shield. It's <laughs> <a> good sound. <laughs> What's your favorite beverage? Gin and tonic. What turns you on and off in construction? Uh, what turns me on, I absolutely enjoy 
to the fullest walking around in a built form that was once in my imagination. It's a nice feeling, huh? Yeah, it's very cool. And then off? Unorganized, uncommunicative contractors. They're out there. Oh, yeah, they are. Lots. <laughs> yeah. Well, where, are, uh, where, where do you find overuse these days? Uh, I'm stressed. Uh, what's your favorite curse word? Fuck. What's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? That I own or that I'd like to own? Whatever you want, your favorite vehicle. Porsche 911 GT3 ST. What color? Probably the classic silver. Silver. German. Silver. Yeah. Uh, what do you miss from your childhood? Nothing. <laughs> I love being an adult and having responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. I like that one. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? Uh, I've always thought like it would always be related to design, creating something. But I thought it would be fucking awesome to like work for Red Bull or Monster, creating like the different stunts and the what, think tank that they have. Yeah, that'd be so just cool. so like no bad ideas. Start throwing them. Exactly. No, I totally see that. What profession do you not want to do? Funeral director. That smell. <laughs> uh, last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Uh, the bars that way. There's definitely a bar up there. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Manny. Thanks uh, for having me. Say hello to everybody and keep up the amazing work. It's absolutely glorious. Like, beautiful, man. Yeah, beautiful thanks. work. We're not stopping here. So I was actually, along. one last question to ask you is, how are you going to manage 56 projects next year? You're not starting all of them at 56. No. No. And they all, they're all, like, scaling in size from, like, 250 square feet to... 7,500 square feet and beyond. So, and some we've just signed. So we're just going, starting into the master planning process and some were in construction administration. And so, but we all like between all of the, it's those five dif disciplines, we have about 45 people wow. working on these projects. So we've so got some horsepower. Work. Lots of work ahead for everybody. Yeah. Which is good. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks so Angelina, much. Angelina, we're out of here.